This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 7th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And We've all been watching the news and things are constantly churning and changing and going in ways that are difficult to predict. And you know, it's a it's it's a complex market uh, and a lot of variables are at play. So you are here for unbiased guidance and that's what we are here to give you. I'm Justin Klein. I hope you will call me with your investing questions and when and if you make time to call. That is when you take charge because you shape the show to your particular advantage and we can help you in particular make your next step to your own path towards financial freedom. Now we do that each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So today we're going to do our best to answer any question that is on your mind in relation to finance or the markets. And let's remind you about a few important dates Coming up in just three days, Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose to conduct his no-cost portfolio reviews. That's this Thursday, October 10th. And due to strong demand, he'll be back in New York City doing portfolio consultations on November 7th. And after that, San Jose again. Now, if you aren't in those places and maybe you're in Southern California, you can attend our wealth conference that's coming up this Saturday, October 12th. In our Irvine, California office, it's titled Investing in Real Estate Stocks and Bonds for Income, Earning Yield in a No-Yield World. Seating is limited. We're starting to run out of spots, so please make your reservation as soon as possible. If you plan to attend, just go to investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns the viability of a claim by the founders of Salesforce.com that capitalism as we know it is dead. This is coming from Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff saying that stakeholders in large corporations are starting to think more about other things than profits. And I'm going to dig into why he's thinking about that and whether that's actually true. I'll give you my opinion. So we'll look into that also. Tariffs continue to be on the market's mind the mind of really economists worldwide because yes, it's a China-US trade war, but as we know with globalization, it affects almost every country in the world in some way. So we're going to talk about how that is going to eventually start affecting you, the individual, a lot more in the near future if we don't come to some resolution, which we'll talk about. Also, what are the most tax-friendly states, least tax-friendly states, and then you know somewhere in the middle? You'll be surprised by this. It's very interesting. Most people think California is one of the highest tax states, but if you take everything into account, it actually isn't. I'll tell you where it ranks. Also, the job numbers came out last weekend, or last Friday, and... Unemployment dropped to a 50-year low or something. 
And most people look at the headlines. What is unemployment rate? What is the number of jobs that were created in the last month? But there are other factors underneath the surface that can give you a hint of really how strong the job market is as well as where the job market is trending. Okay, So those are the things that are on my mind, those things that I want to talk about today. So give me a call. I want to hear from you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Those are my topics, but as always, your topics are number one. Now let's take a quick look at the market today. Modest down day, started off down, rallied a little bit throughout the day, slightly positive on a lot of the indexes, and kind of closed roughly near the lows. But like I said, a pretty modest down day. SP was down about half a percent. Small caps, quarter percent. NASDAQ, quarter of a percent. So a very modest down day after an oversold bounce on Thursday and Friday of last week. Bounced into some resistance and kind of got rejected today. And we're still within that trading range that we entered in early August and traded throughout August. We broke out of that trading range to the upside, tried to break out to new highs on the S&P, and we didn't. We came back into that trading range, and we remain in that trading range after today. So a lot of bad economic news over the past couple weeks certainly worries the markets, as well as the trade war, as well as earnings season coming that is likely to not be so hot if you're you know, using the economic numbers as a guide. So I still think we'll eventually break down, but we could chop here for a little while. Now let's grab a question from our Anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is G from Philly. Long-time listener. Very much enjoy the show. I uh, wanted to ask you about Anneli Capital. NLY. I've invested in this off and on over the years. Their current dividend is around 10 to 11 percent, and their stock price has dropped to the low eights. And I'm wondering if you believe this is a good time to get back into Anneli Capital. Again, great show, and I'll look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at Anneli Capital Management. This is one of the most popular mortgage REITs out there. And in this environment, I tend to like REITs in general, but mortgage REITs are often very complex. They're not straightforward because like a normal REIT, they're not owning property directly. They're owning it almost indirectly, right? Because they own the debt, they own the paper that is backed by real estate, and that's how they become a REIT, right? It's because their assets are basically backed by real estate. Some own mortgage debt that is guaranteed by the government, Fannie and Freddie. Some own mortgage debt that is not backed by the government. And most of them own a mix. I'm not sure where Annalie lies today, but I do know that the mortgage market is starting to become starting to change, right, with the proposition by the White House to change the way Fannie and Freddie operate by returning capital to them, making them more privatized, forcing them to pay higher amounts for government guarantees, etc. 
So it'll change the look of the mortgage market. So that's a long-term, I think, concern, which will elevate the risk for all of these mortgage REITs to some degree. Also, they kind of operate like a bank, where they borrow short and they lend long, right? Mortgages are long-lived assets. They tend to live on for 10, 20, 30 years, depending on prepayment risk, which would be people refinancing their mortgage. And so if short-term rates rise, that tends to be a negative for annually or mortgage rates in general. So a lot of it depends on where you think mortgage rates are going or interest rates are going. I think the Fed is likely to raise interest rates in the near term. then it's probably not a good idea to be in mortgage REITs or REITs in general. But they're even more sensitive to short-term movements. What's interesting about Annalee is that even though rates have been falling since October of last year, it's continued to go down. It continues to be weak. And that worries me a lot as well as, as, well as the REIT sector has been strong. So... This is another example, I think, of chasing yield. They have negative payout ratio, negative cash dividend payout ratio, a lot of debt, negative free cash flow. They can continue to add debt in order to pay that dividend, which in the long term is never a sustainable proposition. So I would not be owning Annalee, and I would not be owning most mortgage REITs now, but I do like other types of REITs in general. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we are already into the fourth quarter. Things are moving fast, so let me ask you, is your portfolio properly balanced? It should be if you want to be able to weather the market volatility that we know is going to come eventually. So you can do it yourself, or even better, let Steve and I help you do that. You can contact us in our Irvine, California, KPP financial office. And now the phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. The countdown continues. In just five days, the next KPP Wealth Management Conference will be held in Irvine, California. This Saturday, October 12th, Steve and Justin will lead the event. Its title, Investing in Real Estate Stocks and Bonds for Income. Limited seating remains. Make reservations through investtalk.com. The Anytime Listener Line is open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. All right, let's take a quick look at some key benchmarks for today. Gold was at 15.04 an ounce, down a little bit. Two-year treasury yield was up to 1.43% as well as the 10-year Treasury yield was at 1.53%. So upward sloping yield curve as the Fed has eased interest rates a little bit over the past couple months. Oil up to 53.38 a barrel and regular gasoline now on average at 265 per gallon. Most expensive state is California. Least expensive state is Louisiana, which is kind of what it usually is. A lot of that has to do with taxes, FYI. There's an opportunity for investors to learn from market dynamics. The the GM worker strike 
is in week four and GM stock is down over the past month by about 15%. Yeah, about 15% over that time. So as we know, labor strikes are not good for business because can't produce and odds are the wages you're going to pay in the future are going to be higher to some degree. That's why these companies want to keep their workers happy, especially when you're highly reliant on your labor force. Next up, Uber stock got an upgrade today from City. They wouldn't buy it, but Uber was trading at $30 today. That's down from its debut number of about $45 a share. So it's down 32% so far since May when it went IPO. And Lyft at $39 a share, down 42% from its IPO price of about $70 a share in April. Clearly, clearly, we are at a time when the IPO market is overvalued. Now, maybe WeWork will, or the lack of WeWork IPO, will instill some discipline in valuations. Remember, I always say, IPOs tend to be bad investments in the long term. In the short term, because of lockup periods and lack of float, etc., they can they can go up. But if you understand the incentives of an IPO, which is insiders want a high price because guess what? They own the company, own a large share of the company, and they're selling it off to the public, and they want to do that at a good price, not a bad price for them. Right, they wanted a good price for them and a bad price for the buyer. And the underwriters, the investment banks, they take a percentage of the total raised. So the higher the price, the higher the valuation they can sell it at, the more money they make. So the people who have control of the value that an IPO goes out at, they have incentives to benefit themselves as opposed to benefit you, the buyer of that IPO. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to thank you for making this program a part of your routine. Steve and I do our best to make it interesting and instructive each and every weekday. Whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to browse our podcast library. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. I have a question that's a little bit about real estate and finance. If you listen to like the Kay Schiller report and stuff like that, it seems like on average, you know, across the country, homes appreciate at about 3%, right? I know there's been blips in the past where they've appreciated like 11%, but that's generally the, um, that's not normal, right? It's generally like 3% I keep reading and hearing. But inflation I've heard is also generally 3%. So, I mean, am I missing something like all other things being equal? 
wouldn't it be a washout? I mean, wouldn't your home not really be appreciating on average because inflation is the exact same rate? I mean, I hope I'm missing something. I hope it's not a stupid question, but if you could speak to that a little bit, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. That is a great observation, and that's absolutely true. Long-term, and when I say long-term, I'm talking decades upon decades upon decades. Real estate tends to go up with the rate of inflation. Why is that? Well, how do you pay for rent and mortgages with incomes? How fast do incomes tend to go up over the long-term? Well, the amount of inflation. Now, there's ebbs and flows and cycles, and over short periods of time, you can have Incomes go up more than inflation, but there's always a reversion to the mean. And, you know, there can be changes in interest rates that push real estate prices up faster than incomes and inflation because affordability gets better, right? When interest rates drop dramatically, affordability gets better. Prices tend to go up faster than inflation and incomes. Also, lending standards. Think of the mid-2000s. Everybody and their mother could get a mortgage. All you do is fog a mirror and you can get a mortgage. And that caused everybody to get approved and at any price. And that pushed valuations much, much higher, faster than incomes. So you're absolutely making a very astute strong observation that long-term real estate prices go up with the rate of inflation because they can't go up faster than incomes for any extended period of time. You know, I'm talking decades. So I love the call, love the question, love the observation, and everybody needs to understand that. Now, you you could factor in... Uh, Leverage and how leverage can play a role in your return, etc. But yes, long-term inflation and in, in especially incomes are really what drive real estate prices nationwide as well as locally. Now, my main talking point today concerns the viability of a claim by the CEO of Salesforce.com. It says stakeholders want more than merely profits from their companies. He's basically saying there is a push towards socialism or democratic socialism in America. And even hedge fund billionaire Ray Dalio in a recent report said capitalism is no longer working for most Americans. And he sees they need that we need urgent reform rather than ditching it all together. And that's really where I'm coming from or what I believe is there just needs to be reform to the system. Everyone thinks that we live in a capitalist system. And we don't. We live in a crony capitalist system where lobbyists can lobby for tax changes and government spending in their sector and just favors from Washington. You have central banks who cater to the health of banks don't crack down on bad actors like we saw in the financial crisis. And this all together has been driving the country towards 
a more socialist philosophy. And a lot of people are calling it democratic socialism. And so unless we, unless we have the needed reforms to make our capitalist system more pure, I think that's only going to continue. The lack of trust in large institutions. I urge everyone to go out and read The Fourth Turning. It's a great book. It was written in the 90s. It talks about this generational shift. Happens every 80 years, broken up in 20-year periods, where slowly the trust in institutions are eroded. And we're kind of at that point now where there needs to be a rewrite of a lot of our institutions to reinstill trust in governments, in central banks, in corporations. So I think Benioff is exactly right. We are moving that way. But that doesn't mean it's the best way. It just means that it's a way that needs to be reformed. Right? Socialism, capitalism, We don't live in a pure capitalist society. And that's clear. And that is the biggest issue with our financial system in general. On tomorrow's Invest Talk, there's been a bold market prediction from high profile investors who warned that stocks could tumble 15% by early next year. His opinion says the economic conditions in the US are not conducive for risk taking. Steve will get to that tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to I invite your finance and investing questions right now at 888 chart This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. Contact KPP Financial. This is Invest Talk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. It's uh, Joseph from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Just had a quick question. Uh, my investment scheme has always been core with satellite ETFs core holding usually that total stock market index. I never really buy a single stock, so I'm a long-term investor, passive, but something that really intrigues me is AT&T stock. I've seen numerous articles where there's going to be hopefully a large upside. Uh, the earnings for the next few years should be really good, especially with 5G coming out. And just wanted to know if you think, if I was going to choose one dividend-paying stock to include in my portfolio, if this would be a good stock to own, 
I'd probably put 5% of my portfolio in that stock and just keep contributing. I know it has a healthy dividend. And I think I'll probably leave it in my portfolio for the long term, but obviously uh, keep abreast of what's going on with that company. I uh, would like to get your response. Love the show. Have a great day. All right, he's looking at AT&T, and I'm going to start off by saying we like the company. We've liked it for a while. We've owned it for many of our different strategies for a, a few, I would say a year and a half to two years now. We bought it hand over fist around the $30 level multiple times in different strategies, and now we're at 37.66, yields 5.4%, so 20% below you know, below today, back in that 30 level, it was north of six. So we really liked it at that time. They bought, they took on a lot of debt and they made, I think, a poor acquisition in DirecTV, but I think they make made a good acquisition in Comcast and, you know, they're bringing HBO on board. They're going to expand HBO offering and, and really sort of compete with the Netflix of the world and all of the other streaming platforms that are being launched uh, over the next uh, couple of years. And I think it's going to broaden their revenue base, diversify their revenue base. You talked about 5G. That's certainly going to drive more revenue because more devices are going to be using that network. Now it's going to cost a lot to to build it out. So that's a negative. But you know, there's a, their revenue stream is so gigantic, $45 billion last quarter. So you're talking some of the neighborhood of $180 billion in revenue per year. They do have a decent amount of debt, so that's a worry, but they're starting to pay that down. They're, they're working on paying that down. They have about $8 billion quarterly in free cash flow. Very, very strong business and return equity long-term in the mid to high teens. That's certainly positive as well. So we like that long-term profitability perspective, the fact that they started to diversify their their business, their revenue stream. There's going to be a lot of synergies, I think, there. And that's why we liked it. We thought it was very cheap at 30. Obviously not quite as cheap at 37, but we still like it in long-term. Definitely one of the top dividend plays we think there is in the market today. That was AT&T with the symbol of T. Thanks for calling. Now, later this month, China and the United States are going to sit down once again to attempt to knock out a trade deal. And while there are high hopes, I've been saying this a while, I don't think anything's going to happen for a while. Neither side is quite urgent to make a deal yet because you know, the, the election is over a year off still. And Trump is trying to win. He's trying to win this trade war. He's trying to make the optics look very good for him. And unless he gets some major concessions, I think that'll be difficult for him to show his constituents, to show the Americans that he is doing what's right for the country. This is his big campaign promise. Now, he recently softened his stance and said he would think about an interim deal, probably something involving agriculture, but that falls short of a large fundamental reform of the Chinese trade agreement. 
Now, so far, and this is strategic by the administration, these tariffs have fallen mainly on imported goods used in industrial production, and it hasn't really hit the consumer. 82% of parts and supplies that U.S.-based businesses buy from China were subject to tariffs before September of this year, while only 29% of final goods were similarly taxed. And so parts, for the most part, were the ones that were hit, not actual finished products. So the impact of this trade war hasn't really been felt too much by voters. Now, the first round of the recent tariffs that took effect on September 1st placed a 15% tariff on about $110 billion of goods, mainly clothing, accessories, footwear. Now, this has raised prices a little bit, and it's going to spark inflation a little bit, true. But the next set of tariffs are really what is going to hit the consumer. About 60% of the estimated $160 billion of imports scheduled to be tariffed on December 15th will be computers and other electronic devices. And in today's world, that's everything, right? There's electronics in almost everything we buy now, except for food and clothes. Cell phones and laptops account for 54% of all imports scheduled to be taxed in December. So, talking about iPhones, other smartphones, laptops, computers, etc. And a lot of that will have an effect on businesses as well, right? Because a lot of companies buy these products for their employees to be productive. Now, some of the costs will be borne by Chinese contractors, many of them subcontractors. Think of Foxconn. That's a Taiwanese company operating in China. So China directly is likely to have to not really feel the pain quite as much. Now, many of these products have very thin margins, so it's going to be very hard for them to really give too much concessions. So next up is these companies are going to have to simply raise prices or take the hit themselves. And many of them just will not be willing to do that. They're not really willing to erode their profit margins, especially in the tech sector, which is a very competitive industry, especially hardware. So the big effect on the consumer is likely to happen after the December 15th tariffs take effect. So we have some time to really hammer out a deal, but I still think there will be, we'll go past that December 15 timeline. There will be probably more backlash on the administration because it'll be finally felt more by businesses and individuals. And eventually they'll come to some sort of minor resolution that makes it look like we won, but it'll be similar to kind of the MC was it MC MA 
Mexico, Canada, free trade. I forgot the, the acronym. <laughs> I know that was a, a, a trade agreement that was had minor changes, but it was overall the same as NAFTA. So I think we'll eventually get to that point. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And so obviously you understand the importance of unbiased guidance and experienced market analysis. That's why you are here. So I encourage you to subscribe to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every Friday straight to your email box. You get market analysis, portfolio management guidance, stock ideas, and personal finance tips as well. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. The economy is strong, mortgage rates are at or near historic lows, and the housing and real estate market is calling you. But just how can you, how should you become an investor in real estate? What is the best course of action based on your financial situation and risk tolerance? Should you consider a vacation rental investment? Or are you better suited for buy and hold transactions? And here's something all investors have to deal with. We are living in a no-yield world. So how can you safely get income from stocks and bonds despite a choppy market? You can register to attend the next KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will lead the event, and they'll be joined by two real estate experts and a trust attorney. Get your questions answered efficiently at one time and in one place. Saturday, October 12th in Irvine, California. The KPP Wealth Management Conference. Seating is limited. Register now at investtalk.com. Hey, Stephen Justin. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. I've got a question in regards to the streaming wars that are going on. Netflix has taken a, a bit of a beating over the last few weeks, months now. Do you feel like it's a better investment now to buy the dip in Netflix? Or Disney, on the opposite hand, has taken a bit of an upswing? Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Looking forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Well, we are short Netflix for some of our managed accounts, and we did that around the 360 level. Now it's at 274, and we continue to be short. I think Netflix will eventually be a $100 stock, maybe even lower than that, simply because they were the only game in town, and no, they're now, they're, now they're no longer, and they're also pretty much the most expensive game in town when it comes to the streaming game, and I think that's only going to erode their subscriber base and it's going to force them to eventually cut prices as well to match HBO, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, etc. So if I'm picking one, I'm definitely picking Disney. If I'm picking one of those, shall I say, uh, because Disney's more diversified, they already have large amount of content that is clearly in demand by both young and old. And so I'm picking Disney if I'm picking one. Now, does that mean I want to buy Disney? No, it's not, you know, it's not like I, I, I love Disney at these prices. I do think it's a little rich, a little expensive. But absolutely if I'm picking one, it would be Disney over Netflix. Thanks for the call.
Now, if we keep moving, I can fit in another caller question that concerns 401ks that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Jen from Portland, Oregon, and I was just listening to the podcast of October 2nd, and somebody had just called in and asked about rolling over a 401k and whether they should do, I think it was dollar cost averaging, and your answer was that they should do that over a span of four to five months. Now, my question is, won't they run into trouble with the IRS if they do this? Because as far as I remember, you only have 60 days to complete a rollover from a 401k into another retirement vehicle. So we'd like to just hear your thoughts on that. Thanks. Well, you are right. You do have 60 days. But dollar cost averaging just is simply about when you use the money in the account to buy assets. So typically when you roll over a 401k, you have to liquidate those positions, go to cash, and you open a rollover IRA at a brokerage firm. We do this all the time for clients. Right? We open a rollover IRA, in our case, TD Ameritrade, and we say, have them make a check out to what's called TD, what we say TD Ameritrade clearing. They have that check made out. We send it in a TD, it's deposited into that account, and it's in 100% cash. And that's all you need to do to satisfy that 60-day rule. Okay? Now, what you do with that cash within the IRA is up to you. You can keep it in cash for years if you want, forever. Or you can buy everything at once or dollar-cost average, whatever strategy you want to deploy. So that rule that you're talking about is just having the money actually into that new account. It has zero to do with what investments you invest with that money within that new rollover IRA. Hope that clarifies the situation and thanks for the call and hopefully no one else was confused by it either. 888 chart 888 We have about eight minutes left in the show. So we're about to head to break. So you, if you want to call today, you need to call ASAP. And after the break, I'm going to talk about tax-friendly states, which was the mo- which are the most tax-friendly, least tax-friendly, maybe ones that are in the middle. And I think you'll be surprised by this. Some that are in the least tax-friendly, you will not be surprised at all. Others in some of the more tax-friendly states, I think you will be surprised. And this is based on not just income tax, but property tax, sales tax, fuel tax, sin taxes, inheritance taxes, wireless taxes, etc. So we're going to get to that. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that is to help you achieve your own personal version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, there has been a bold market prediction from a high profile investor. He's warning that stocks could tumble by as much as 15% by early next year. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. I've been listening to your program. And I have started investing. I'm just wondering, what do you think of PAGP, Plains 
SGP Holdings. It has been down lately. They have earnings, but they have a good amount of debt. Like your opinion, if I should get out now or sell right now or just continue to hold and wait for it to bounce back and recover a little bit. Dividend is pretty good. Would love to hear your opinion. Thank you. All right, she's looking at Plains GP Holdings. This is a limited partnership in the oil and gas transportation pipeline area. I don't know if they used to be a massive limited partnership or not, but the bottom line is they yield 7%, and that's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate, so be aware of that. $16 billion company, but their debt-to-equity ratio is 500%. That's the biggest issue here. They've started to deleverage their balance sheet a bit, but it still remains a problem, especially with the industry dynamics in natural gas. And now revenues were only up 2% year over year after a year ago. They were up 33% year over year. Earnings are expected to drop 6% this year, another 2% next year. So their business continues to deteriorate along with their stock. 2014, this was an $80 stock. Now it's at $20.46 a share. So clearly, this remains in a deep, deep downtrend and uh, looks to only be continuing. Now, it did make a low back in, what was that, late last year, uh, $19.17. Now you're at $20.46, so barely above that all-time low. If it breaks that again, I'm absolutely out. The valuation isn't bad, but I don't like the fact that they have so much debt. In this environment with yield spreads expected to widen out over the next few years because of profitability metrics and, and profitability trends within the market in general, I worry. I worry that they're not going to be, can, be able to continue to roll over that debt. A lot of these limited partnerships, master limited partnerships, carry a lot of debt and are dependent on the junk bond market because they're rated below investment grade. They're relying on that market to be healthy and be able to roll their debt. And that worries me about this name. So if you own it, if it breaks that all-time low of 1917, I am absolutely out because I think this is likely a bankruptcy candidate if that level breaks. 8899 chart, 8899242789. Now, before the break, I I wanted to highlight some of the most tax-friendly and least tax-friendly states in the union. And this is a report put out by Kiplinger. And it's not just about state income tax. That's part of it, but also property tax, sales tax, fuel tax, sin taxes, right? Tax on alcohol, cigarettes, etc. Along with inheritance and wireless taxes. And they used a family of four with an income of $150,000 as the model. Now, I know a lot of our listeners are in California. And a lot of people think California is not very tax friendly. And you'd probably be right if you were very wealthy. But actually, it's a relatively tax friendly state. It's in the 40th percentile. Meaning it's actually more friendly from a tax perspective than most states. Now the least tax friendly states, you guessed it, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, New Jersey, Wisconsin, those are all in the bottom, the bottom 10 states when it comes to tax friendliness. What are the most tax friendly? You probably guessed this one, these ones as well. Arizona, Nevada, Florida, 
no, no income tax there. Alaska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, Tennessee, Washington, and Wyoming. So a lot of the states that tend to be less populated, they need to attract people. They need to attract people to stay there. They don't want to drive people out by taxing them. And so they tend to be relatively tax friendly. I thought that was very interesting that California is not as bad as everyone thinks. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Steve will be here tomorrow and I will return on Thursday. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.